In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of new life. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today, the fifth Sunday of Lent is also known as Passion Sunday. And it's not so much the stir a passion in my heart sort of variety, although in a funny way, perhaps it is. And I hope we'll see that later on. But the meaning of passion we're thinking about is its literal meaning of suffering, our willingness to suffer. And if you're thinking about passion fruit, if that just popped into your head, the passion fruit flower is meant to be, is, look like a crown of thorns. So next time you, if you have a passion fruit vine at home, have a look at um, one with a flower on. Uh, have a look. And of course, purple uh, is the color of passion that we use at this time. So suffering. And certainly our gospel reading today from John chapter 12 takes us into the reality of Jesus grappling with his approaching suffering and the passion that he will undergo supremely on the cross. And so we've jumped forward in our gospel reading. It actually, the gospel reading comes after the events of Palm Sunday, which actually we'll celebrate next week. So it's almost like we have some time in advance now to gradually shift our focus towards the cross and to let these deep things of God seep down into our hearts as we walk the coming days together. But first of all, we have this rather curious little incident of some Greeks coming to see Jesus. And why is this, why is this the catalyst for Jesus saying his hour has now come? And at first blush, we might expect that Jesus is still on a roll. We've just had the celebration of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the Pharisees have just been complaining, oh, the whole world has gone after him. So surely the fact that now not just Jews, Jesus' own people, but also Greeks, Gentiles, foreigners are coming to Jesus, shouldn't that be a sign of the success of Jesus' mission, not its failure? But there's something else going on as well. Opposition to Jesus' ministry is also increasing. And Jesus sees the writing is on the wall, if you like. And Jesus is very clear that with the arrival of the Greeks, these foreigners, his mission is opening up into its dramatic climax. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But the paradox to us is that Jesus will be glorified through his passion and through his suffering and through his death and resurrection. This whole movement together, which will reveal the nature of God in Christ, is self-giving, sacrificial love. And so it's a costly glory that is going to be displayed on the cross. And so Jesus paints this picture that I've just uh, put up here. It's the costly nature of the self-giving in the image of the grain of wheat dying in the ground, burying itself, being lost to sight, and it seems lost to existence even, giving up its life so that in due course it might bear much fruit and a rich and abundant harvest. I've got some uh, bulbs here that I got the other day. 
daffodil bulbs that I'm going to plant when I get a moment. And I was drawn to that name Precocious um, because when I was in year three, uh, teachers might enjoy this, uh, you know, they had the PT parent-teacher meetings, and in year three, apparently the teacher told my mother that I was precocious. And I thought that was a wonderful compliment. <laughs> it was actually, I'd been in my shell, I was very shy, and she said she's coming out, and she's coming out quite fast. <laughs> Some of you might enjoy that. So here's my precocious bulbs. But they're rather, um, you know, they're brown, they're pretty um, dead looking, and they're, you know, they're nothing very exciting about them. They look pretty lifeless. But I love the thing that all being well, and if I actually plant them the right way, and I have done a dahlia upside down, and it took a long time to turn around and come back up the right way. If I get them up the right way in the spring, there will be that beauty of new life. Now that same picture is used again and again in the New Testament. It's used by St. Paul to talk about our resurrection body in 1 Corinthians 15. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you don't sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown a physical body. It's raised a spiritual body. It's also an image Paul uses to speak of baptism in Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him in baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. In the early church, baptisms would be held at dawn on Easter day. And what a powerful image that must have been, and still is today, of going down under the water, drowning to the old life, the old life being buried under the water, and then rising up with Jesus to new life as Easter day dawns, as the resurrection dawns. But it all starts with unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. Unless that remains just a nice picture, we then are actually allowed to eavesdrop here on Jesus actually engaging with what that hour of suffering is going to mean for him. He's so honest. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? Here we see a very human Jesus wrestling with his calling and facing up to his own mortality and fear of suffering and death. Here's the Jesus in the epistle to the Hebrews. It says, Jesus offered up prayers with loud cries and tears. This is real, gut-wrenching. This is the Jesus of Gethsemane, who knows firsthand the pains and the sufferings of human life, and he knows what it is to weep and to lament. And for that, I am profoundly This is a Jesus who has been where we sometimes are. Hebrews also tells us that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And that's hard. But it reminds me of something I can remember uh, Catholic writer Joy Cowley, Kiwi, um, 
coming here uh, after the quakes and speaking with us, and I remember her saying, and it wasn't, it was hard won, it wasn't simplistic, are we able to see that everything that happens to us is a teacher from God? Knowledge of God comes from life experience, and there comes a time in our journey, often hard won, when we realize that everything in our life has contributed to our awareness of the treasure within. Every weed, every stone, every storm or drought, every withering frost, every summer rain, it all carries a lesson to be learned. And every lesson is held by love. So part of our Lenten learning is that the God that we have come to know is the God who in Christ is human like us, who has experienced the suffering, the hard places of human life, and who holds us in love with wounded hands. Jesus still bears those scars. So this is the God of the new or the renewed covenant we heard about in our reading from the prophet Jeremiah. This is the God who does not give up on God's people ever and whose new covenant was sealed for us with the blood of Christ. And those are the words we say and remember in the words of every communion as we share the cup of Christ, the new covenant made for us, sealed with Christ's blood, poured out for us. So how then are we to live as people of the new covenant, as disciples called by Christ? I come back again, the words I think I used a few weeks ago, those stark and deeply challenging words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. And he knew what it was. He was martyred by the Nazis uh, just before the end of World War II for his part in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, he was part of that. He felt that those were the things that needed to happen. There were lots of other reasons as well. He was head, uh, leading the confessing church um, who were not allied with Hitler and his policies. So he knew what martyrdom was all about. When Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. Jesus says to us here, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And we struggle, just like Jesus' first disciples, when we realize that actually following Jesus includes walking down that road all the way to the cross. We too are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus to the cross. And just as those disciples struggled then, so do we. Is this what it really means? Jesus will be lifted up on that cross. And in that great outpouring of love, absorbing all the sin of the world thrown at him, Jesus will draw all people to himself, John says. Just as we heard last week, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. Jesus promises, I will draw people to myself at the cross. And this, being drawn to God's love poured out on the world, that's where we see the glory. That's what John calls the glory of Jesus. Not his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, not a king conquering Roman armies, but the glory of being lifted up 
on the cross. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so we too are called to take that journey, to lose our life like that grain of wheat buried in the ground. And we know it would be much easier if I put my bulbs away and put them away in the garage, safely on a shelf, hoarded away, and we can think of our own lives too, to keep safe in a cupboard and carefully cocooned in self-protection and self-preservation. I'm dealing in cocoons at the moment. I've got um, four chrysalises and two caterpillars on the way. Um, and, you know, one of those caterpillars wandered away and got squashed. Um, but they took that risk of doing that journey. And they are now um, also willing to take that risk, risk of what looks to us like death, going into a cocoon. And yet we know that's the process to become that butterfly. So rather than cocooning ourselves in self-protection, self-preservation, like our God, we're called to follow and to give of ourselves. Our self-giving God who came into the world and pours out love in costly self-sacrifice at the cross. It's been said, to lose your life is to renounce the attempt to secure life for yourself, to control it, and instead to be willing to spend your life in the service of God and others. For those who lose their lives in this way, find they receive their lives back from God in abundance. So yes, for Jesus, this cost him his life. And for us, at least, it will mean costly involvement. That willingness to be stirred from the heart and in the heart, and maybe that's the stir of passion in my heart, Lord. The place where God has chosen to live by the Spirit, to put God's law in our hearts, to provide by the Holy Spirit the power and the passion to live out our lives in the service of others and of the world God loves. Already, uh, some in our link groups are saying to us, look, we're really being challenged by what we're reading at the moment and what we're hearing about. Can we get together once we've all finished and all the groups are in different places, but can we get together after Easter sometime and talk about what we as a community can do? So I hope that you'll be willing to be part of that. What does it mean for us to be prophetic in our community so that others will come to see Jesus. And not just to see Jesus as one might come to gawp at a celebrity, but over time to come to know, to love, to believe in, to trust in him. In John's gospel, seeing is always believing. It's a journey. It's a journey of seeing more and more deeply into God's love and into the love of God which holds us through life and through death and life forever. So may we give glory to this Jesus who died for us, who rose again for us this Passion Sunday and always. Amen. <laughs>